Just before we get into today's episode, I want to cast your ears over here to this promo for a few minutes and explain why you might be missing out if you're not using Adobe Express. You've heard of Adobe, right? The chaps that brought you Illustrator, InDesign, and who hasn't been asked? Has this been photoshopped? Adobe is a household name. But have you heard of Adobe Express? I hadn't until the back end of last year, and then, well, I did. Now, I'm not saying that in a few years' time, people will be asking you, where were you when you discovered Adobe Express? But they may ask why you didn't start using it sooner. Using Adobe Express allows endless opportunities to scale up your creatives and improve your efficiency and productivity, as well as anything I've seen or used. Creating and editing all your creative output with more customizable templates than a Rubik's Cube has variations. Well, all right, maybe not 43 quadrillion, but you get the idea. And that is just your basics. It's interoperability between Photoshop and Illustrator. It's a bit of a game changer for workflow management, linking all your assets together. Make changes in one place and boom, all your assets are updated. If you don't want to miss out on any of this, use one of the links in the show notes that will take you to a free trial of Adobe Express. Or why not supersize it and trial the complete Adobe Creative Cloud package, which includes Adobe Express, as you'd imagine. Oh yeah, bonus point. If you're already a Creative Cloud user, Adobe Express is right there waiting for you. Now let's do it. When I'm with those gatekeepers that we talked about previously, my messaging has now incorporated some of those, some of that added value. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is a way for people's brands to be visible and publicized without them needing to sell themselves. Welcome to Construction Disrupted, the ultimate podcast for the construction industry, exploring the limitless possibilities at the dynamic intersection of construction and technology. Wow, that's a mouthful. Delve into the latest topics, news, events, expert insights, and marketing that are shaping the industry right now and in the future. We'll hopefully sprinkle a little bit of humor in there for you as well. I'm your guide, Peter Sumpton, and I run a construction technology marketing agency, Build Different. If you're ready to embrace disruption and unlock the potential of the construction industry, keep on listening and be part of the conversation that's reshaping the future of construction. If you're not, uh, I really wouldn't bother. It's it's probably not going to be that interesting for you. Whether you're a construction technology professional or just part of the construction industry in general. This podcast is your go-to resource for staying informed, inspired, and of course, connected. Speaking of connected, the best way you can help to support this podcast is by sharing it far and wide and leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Right then, let's go and build different and get disruptive. Construction is a versatile industry with many different roles and responsibilities. It can be challenging at the best of times to make yourself visible, especially if you're targeting and communicating with a variety of stakeholders who have very different wants and needs. 
which is usually the case. Add to this fierce competition, an ever-changing landscape, and tight budgeting restraints, and you have a lovely mixture of challenge upon challenge. But where there are challenges, there are solutions. And usually those solutions we find in places we don't necessarily think of first. They don't usually come from the obvious. They come from other different parts of the industry. The unique, the unfound, the yet to be tested solutions. Like books for small children, for example. You've heard of, of, of books, right? They need to appeal to both parents and children, stand out in a very saturated market, as well as tell a story and usually add some kind of value, be it entertainment, education, or both. Our guest this week is Rich Smith. Rich has spent over a decade within the construction sector and has been inspiring the next generation to get involved with the construction industry for a number of years through his books, When I Grow Up, and more recently, The Big Build. Rich isn't just someone who talks the talk, he lives it as well. With experience within heavy construction materials and main contractors, as well as specialising in pre-construction, sales and marketing in his current role as the pre-construction director at Kelbray. This is also complemented by being the chair of governors for St. Mary Magdalene's primary school. So he certainly does walk the walk. Rich, welcome. And have I missed anything off from that intro? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I can't imagine so. I don't think I've come across that well in a couple of paragraphs before. So I I think it's probably safe to say you've covered it. Um, lifelong Sunderland fan wasn't in there. Um, so there's a lot of resilience built through that through that process. Uh, but no, other than that, I think you've uh, I think you've captured it. Fantastic, and I did not know that fact. So that yeah, is well, a, a live exclusive, a live reveal exclusive. Yeah. That's the bombshell, isn't it? We started on Indeed, a bombshell. Yeah. It will it will be for some listening, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, okay, let's let's get into this because there's loads to cover. And I suppose when you're when you go on these types of things and you get interviewed and people are asking you questions, it's all about um, the the books you've written more than your career and 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 what you do. And what I want to do is try and combine the two because sure what you what you're doing with the books and for stem and for younger children is fantastic but i think there's loads of learnings we can take from that uh, and apply them within our industry as as you are doing anyway before we get on to those additional learnings from writing and publishing the two books we mentioned um can you explain how the books that, and I quote, inspire school children to engage with STEM subjects from a young age actually came about? Yeah, sure. So I've I've got two children of my own, uh, Harry and Isabel. So they are eight and six now. They were sort of six and four probably at the time that when I grew up really, really kicked off. Um, you mentioned my role at school as well. So I'm chair of governors at their, at their school. So I see a lot of curriculum insights. I've built a, a pretty solid understanding of the education system and how that works and how we're, how we're really trying to engage 
children through school and then from a professional capacity I sort of see our our skill shortage and our struggle to recruit people into the industry I personally landed in the construction industry it was never my aim really it was never an industry I'd considered growing up or one I ever envisaged myself myself working in and I think it was just a combination of all of those factors that led me to really question why why is the industry not promoted to mm-hmm. children in the first instance because unless you spark some level of interest early ultimately children are shaped and they grow and and they adapt and you've missed it you've completely missed it you know going in there at school lever or anywhere near it and trying to convince somebody that there's this fantastic industry that they should join you know you're 16 years too late because (laughs) they've formed ideas in the head and they've developed and they've researched subconsciously or or consciously you know into career paths and industries and roles and they just I think it becomes impossible for them to visualize themselves in the industry you're trying to sell unless they've been doing that for a while so so that sort of led me to believe that we really need to capture the imagination of children early and kind of at the first point they're able to understand it really and then the vehicle of of the books was really just through, I think, seeing my own children, their, their interest really peaking through reading. You know, us sat talking about something would not have the same impact as us reading a story about something and then discussing it. And you know, I don't, I don't mean that in a kind of homeschooling structured type environment I mean it as a genuine kind of bedtime story followed up the next morning with you know passing comments about it um and and I think that was where I had the idea that you know I was going to write a book it was going to inspire children um and and I would say that was the creative element and then what followed Mm -hmm. is slightly less romantic but it was then kind of getting into the science of well, actually, how do you do that? And what is the formula? And, you know, doing some actual research into, you know, it, it sounds obvious when you talk about it, but beginning, middle and end of a children's story is exactly the process you need to follow. And you need to introduce characters and you need, you know, you, there is a formula there, you can work to it, you can break it down. And then, you know, it, it just grew from there, really. So, it's quite it's quite a long answer but I think that is on the basis that it did it did really feel like a number of different contributing factors that you know brought me to it it wasn't a straightforward you know oh there's a clear gap here it it really Mm. was sort of evolving evolving thing and I think we've seen over time since the release of, of the first book people getting behind that and how there was actually that gap in 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 the market for something like that yeah absolutely and i think the the engagement we've seen do, does or shows us two things one absolutely there was there was a gap and 
you know, the, the demand has far exceeded anything I could have expected or anticipated, which has led us to other issues, which we can touch on. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, but I think what it's also shown us is that as an industry, we naturally compete. You know, that, that's what we do. And that's what mm-hmm. I do day to day in pre-construction. You know, we tender against others to win work over others, winners and losers. That is the environment. And there's that constant wanting to have that competitive edge and wanting to be at the top of the pile. So for me, that makes collaboration in the industry really quite difficult ordinarily. So, you know, the approach we've taken with both books, which is to not brand any of the books, any of the website, any of the marketed material has enabled everybody to say, well, actually, do you know what? I can get behind that. There's no conflict of interest there. I'm not promoting another organization. I'm not, you know, doing anything like that. And we also, you know, just stripped out all commerciality as well. So there's no, you know, the whole venture is not for profit. I've not made a penny and never will make a penny out of when I grew up. That's the whole premise. Um, Nor does Kelpray, you know, despite them being my employer, there's no commercial gain for them. Mm. And I think it's those principles that have really enabled people to buy into it and get behind it and probably for it to see the sort of acceptance and growth that it's had. Yeah, absolutely. And as soon as you start to commercialise that, then there's there's always that ambiguity in terms of are these people being paid to promote it? Is this a, a, an influencer kind of thing? Yeah, Where's money changing hands? And 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 then it it has it it's got the wrong kind of value to it, and it loses that core of of why you created it in the first place. But that's exactly it, and I think you know if we look at what 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 are we trying to do here we're trying to inspire young people so that you know it won't be tomorrow but as the children that are getting the book now become 16 18 21 you know wherever their entry point might be they've had this interest in construction and they've been able mm-hmm. to see themselves joining the industry and they've considered it and every time they've driven past a site they've shown a bit of interest and learned a bit about it or you know it, it's really just trying to spark that and hopefully we'll have this influx of you know people in 10 years plus time and we'll be able to trace it back to the book you know i think i think i've mm. said in a similar setting previously you know a bit of a an ambition is that i'll ultimately have somebody join a team and they will actually say, do you know what? I remember having that book as a kid. Nice. Um, you know, that that would be a fantastic sort of full circle for the for the project, I think. Yeah. I'm just making a, a, a note, um, a calendar reminder for 10 years to get you back on. Um, yeah, that's it, yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and we'll as, see, as long yeah, as I we'll found someone. I, d- I don't want to come on and tell you I found yeah, nobody. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It'll, be, it'll be a conditional <laughs> attendance. Yeah, uh, well, I'll just pencil it in for now then. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like fun. <laughs> okay, excellent. Let, let's turn this round into some more applicable learnings f- for the industry. So uh, another statement um, that I, th- I think I think's on the website, which all the links will be in the show notes, sure. uh, is when I grow up, the first book unites our industry in that movement. Uh, and, and that movement being, as we've discussed, next generation's involvement in construction. So you're two books in. Yeah. Um, and 
you could carry on uh, producing books, these marvelously curated and animated and storytelling books. You've built this movement and this momentum up through these two books and additional elements. But what steps are you taking now to make sure that this momentum doesn't lose? Well, I'm just going to say it again, momentum. Yeah, no, I. So, th- so this is a real interesting point, and I, and I think one of the things I've struggled with in recent weeks, stroke months, is balancing the when I grew up momentum and workload with the day job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that 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 is a real challenge, and the day job. You know, w- working in pre-construction, working to tender timelines that are defined by others. You, you naturally end up in peaks and troughs that are completely outside of your control. Um, so with the best will in the world, planning that is very difficult because you are quite reactive to to client demand, really. Um, so balancing that is tricky. I think, bizarrely, the volume of interest created but also stalled momentum in similar measure because keeping up with demand became very difficult very quickly um so it was great to have the interest and have that momentum but equally that created a bigger workload you know more to satisfy which was sort of pulling against each other so that that was difficult Mm. and then what it's also opened is other opportunities to explore so we've got you know, connected sectors who are very interested in having their own book that focuses on, say, the steel industry, as an example, or the rail industry or the highways industry, you know, so kind of spin-offs that are more tailored to a particular sector or trade. Um, so there's huge opportunity there. And then where I really want to go is that if we've got a child who maybe read when I grew up at five and they read the big build at six or seven, you know, I really want to think, right. So when they're nine, how, how am I engaging them through when I grew up? Because, and then when they're 11 and when they're 13, Mm -hmm. how do we maintain that engagement so that, you know, I think it's a different type of momentum to, to the one I originally answered, but how do we keep that momentum with the child as they transition through into sort of teenager young adult so you know i've got various pages in notepads around you know oh we should have a when i grow up app and in that app there's a you know job finder and you go through and you answer sort of matrix of questions on do you prefer to work do you think you want to work inside or outside do you want to work with your hands or do you want to work with computers do you want to you know and almost so that we could help narrow down what career choice might be right Mm. for for the child and you know that's so much more detailed and in-depth at 11 than it is as we introduce the roles in the books at sort of age five so i think there's the momentum in terms of the industry movement that we really need to keep on top of and keep it going and you know doing podcast like today is a fantastic way of doing that you know this will reach people who have either not seen it or 
they saw it in passing, but they never really clicked into it to see what it was all about. And, you know, this will this will drive them to do that. So I think there's that industry momentum, but then there's also that momentum of thinking of the children as customers, if you like. How how do we maintain that customer journey from yeah. you know, someone's gone into their school, read the book with them, they've got their own copy, but what next? And that's, you know, something I regularly come back to and sketch out and try and think where we're going to take that. Yeah, and and that's that's hugely applicable to marketing and and the construction industry, bringing it into yeah. into that kind of realm. In that you're looking at it from you're you're not looking at it, oh, so what book next? What 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 do I do next for that engagement? It's very much well, who who's the the client? Who's the consumer? And their journey rather than our journey as a uh, it's not a business it's a, it's a book it's a not-for-profit so yeah, yeah. rather than looking at the, yeah rather than looking at the business you're certainly looking at the client or the consumer the child or the parent which will come on to and thinking yeah. well we need to grow and transition with them as well absolutely and you know we we tried to take the first step as we went from when i grew up to the big build so you know we tried to go from the general industry and what the outcomes are so enabling you know other careers and enabling society to function effectively mm-hmm. and then as we've moved into the big build we've tried to start to unpack well actually there's different roles within here it's not all about building you know you don't have to build to be in the construction industry you can plan you can design you can procure you you know there's there's different roots there and it and it is i, th- I think that analogy of the customer journey is is the right one really yeah absolutely that's let's move on to storytelling uh, another part of, of of marketing if you like and something where we can all learn a, a thing or two from from books which that is that basic premise isn't it um what what certainly i grew not grew up but in my marketing uh, came to understand is that storytelling is important. Now, how important is, is 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 debatable in terms of where it sits and should it be your your main focus? In in going back to like 2016, Seth Godin stated that marketing is no longer about the stuff that you make, but the stories that you tell. And I, I'm not here to debate how good or bad that is. I think it's got its positives and and there's some negatives with that. But in terms of stats. Uh, what studies have shown is that storytelling can increase conversions by about 30% uh, and that people retain only about 5 to 10% of information if it's just stats alone, yet put them in a story and it increases to like 70%. So yeah. what makes a good story and, and how do we create a good story? I think I think for me... I immediately come to that kind of head and heart type conversation. And for me, talking around stats and everything like that is all kind of head, isn't it? You know, yes, Mm. I can see that there's a percentage increase, you know, whatever it may be, great. But for me, that storytelling piece really needs to engage heart as opposed to head. And you need to, Mm. you, you need people to feel what what you're telling them you know so and and i don't mean that in a they need to feel happy or sad i don't mean it in the kind of simple 
heart type analogy that they might feel that they really want the product as an example so you know for me apple is all heart you you feel that you want the new iphone i'm i'm not doing that because i can tell you how many megapixels the camera is versus the previous camera or you know what the different weight is in grams i i i don't know any of that but what i know is i feel that i want the new one and that's because mm -hmm. of how it makes me feel you know all everything associated with that but it is that engaging people on a on a more emotional level i think is what storytelling unlocks that mm. you know without the storytelling it it's really difficult to get somebody to that point the way you phrase that saying want the iphone rather than than need it yeah. is i think a, a, a crucial point there that our, our needs and wants are massively different and if we need something it's probably more head driven yeah, in in terms of be it milk, water, food, whatever it is, I I need that. It's very much up here. Whereas if we want something, it might be start up here, but it's certainly driven by the heart. Yeah. What, what what the heart wants, what the heart wants, so yeah, to speak. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, right. I I want to move on to to something that I think's critical, and I think it'll add a lot of of value because it's it's rife within construction because construction is so fragmented and there's so many different sectors and parts of the industry uh, and, and not just that but within organizations there's so many stakeholders that we have to cater for with our messaging with our marketing with what we do and what we provide there's there's massive parallels there with what you've created in that You've created it for for young children, and and that is your prime audience. If they're not reading it, it hasn't really filled its purpose yet. Sure. To get it to that prime audience, you have to go through that gatekeeper, I suppose, of of a, a parent. You know, I don't think many children are listening to this podcast or other yeah, places yeah. to find out about the book and going online and ordering it. Um, so, how do we deal with that? What what lessons have you learned from catering for to multiple audiences, uh, and and how can we tailor that for construction? Yeah, so it's it's a great question, and it immediately makes me think of of examples, and and mm -hmm. that might be my best way to answer it. But we we've got individuals who've worked on our sites for you know a number of years. And they leave the house every morning in PPE, be it yellow, be it orange. They come home in PPE. And that period they're out of the house, their immediate family, you know, people living under the same roof, don't really understand what they're doing. They just leave, they go to work, it's just work. And there's been so many rewarding stories that, you know, have engaged my heart to go back a question. Um, mm -hmm. Of people saying, do you know what, this book has enabled me to sit down with my own children or with my grandchildren or nieces, nephews, friends, whoever it may be, and really articulate what my role is. And they've taken huge benefit from that. And, and it goes back to my earlier point about, about the power of storybooks, particularly with children, that those individuals could have had that conversation with that child any day. 
any day over the last 10 years, whatever it may be. And they never have because there's just never been that vehicle to have that conversation. And, and the books provided that. So what we've tried to lean on with that information is engage. You know, when I'm talking about engaging another business in it, I've talked about it, the book being a, a potential gift for employees because our experience tells us that employees have valued the book themselves because it's almost given them that special interaction with with a child, be it you know in their own family or, or another. But it, it's a form of engagement. It's a vehicle for them to sit down and have a potentially really meaningful conversation about you know who they are, what they do, what they enable. Um, so it, so again, I think it, it does come back to that emotional level, but what what we have tried to do is really tailor our messaging that you know when i'm stood in front of a hall full of children in a school i'm describing everything very differently to when i'm engaging a social value team within an organization and trying to you know explain to them why they should get on board and i think what we've what we've formed is specific sets of messaging dependent on which stakeholder group we're with you know are we with mm -hmm. the gatekeeper here as you described it and you know we're trying to get an organization on board with when i grew up and i'm trying to explain to them you know how it will help with their school engagement how it could be a gift for their employees am i in that space or am i stood in front of a room full of children and i'm trying to get them excited by the industry and it's the fact they've got a free book that they can take home with them um, you know, one of the lines that is always been really well received in schools is, you know, your own copy of a book that you don't have to bring back in because mm -hmm. the children are so used to getting a reading book. They have mm -hmm. it for a week and then it goes back, even if they love it, you know, and they're maybe waiting to get it back again. So just the really simple message around it's your own seems to immediately create that value and that sense of ownership that children really engage with. But as I say, you know, coming back to your original question, I think we've learned to message differently depending on who we, who we're dealing with. And, and that for me is, is the key really. Yeah. It's same, same outcome, same main goal, but the messaging is, is, is tailored. And, and I think that's the transitional piece, isn't it? To, yeah, to what you do and, and what a lot of people do in the industry. It's knowing your audience and knowing what they need or want to hear, not in a not in, in lies, but in the truth yeah. to say this is the right solution for yeah. you. Um, and that can be very different, like you said, if you're talking to board level or if you're talking to a school teacher, massively different. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think just, just to build on that, one of the other things that we've done is try to evolve that messaging based on the challenge and pushback that we've received along the way. So it's almost taking those frequently asked questions that we always get, which are the potential sort of blockers, and feeding that into the original messaging. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of the big ones on when I grew up has been the commerciality of it. You know, people almost feel that there must be a commercial angle to it and mm. they'll they'll try a couple of times to 
try and identify what it is and really unpick, you know, what am I missing? What are you not telling me? So we've continually refined our messaging around it being, you know, not-for-profit isn't a term I ever started with. So when, when I grew up, was first born, I didn't think I needed to badge it a not-for-profit because I thought, oh, well, that's okay. People will be on board and, you know, it's all about the greater good. But actually, as I started engaging some of those gatekeeper type stakeholders, you realize I really need to be leading with the fact that I'm not making money, Kelp are out mm. making money, you know, that that's a massive hurdle for people. So I think reevaluating that messaging and fine tuning it based on the feedback you're getting is a really important step. Yeah, I think we live in a, a cynical world, don't we, unfortunately? Yeah, and, and various things have driven a lot of people to to think like that. You know, w- what's the catch is, is usually yeah. the, the second thing that that people um, go to when they see the word free, you know, for yeah. <laughs> what's in it for me, but what's the catch? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And it, it, it's a bizarre one in a way, isn't it, for yourself, because you're doing it for the greater good, yet one of the first things that people are asking is, okay, where's the catch? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and there isn't one. You know, as, as I say, I, I can I can fully understand it. And yeah. I probably originally was maybe a bit naive with the approach that it wasn't in that original messaging. It wasn't in the original slides that I was presenting. It wasn't in the original email exchange that we were having. And you, you do, I think there is a really big piece there around learning. Well, actually, if this is, a question I get regularly, or this is a challenge I'm having to overcome regularly, I need to go back to that original engagement and messaging and make sure that I'm conquering it early. Um, You know, it's linked to that customer journey piece we talked about at the start, isn't it? That, you know, those gatekeepers in organizations that I want to engage with when I grow up, they are, they're on a customer journey. So chances are they saw when I grew up on LinkedIn, that's been our primary you know, vehicle, that's where they probably saw it. So I need to put myself in their shoes and think, right, well, which post have they seen? Have they gone to the website? So when they get to the website, have I been really upfront about that not-for-profit, about there isn't the catch? And you're almost trying to tick off the objections and challenges as you go, so that by the point you're face-to-face with them, you've overcome a lot of that already. Yeah, there's, there's so many takeaways in that from a marketing perspective as well. It's yeah. it's phenomenal. You know, you, you, you're doing yourself a great justice here in terms of your approach and the things you, you, you're yeah. adding, um, which I want to come full circle to, to, to finish this off, really, sure. uh, and, and, and talk about adding value and, and communications and building brands, if you like, because there's clearly two strings to your bow um, and, and one negative being a Sunderland fan, but we won't. Hold that against you as well. Overlook that for now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, on the one hand, director at Kelp Bray, on the other, award winning author. Indeed, yeah. Um, Strange as it is. <laughs> clearly, there's a link between the two because construction is, is, is that link and they both take up a lot of time and, and attention. Um, so, how, when m- working on multiple projects, do you make both work for you? Um, be it from a personal branding perspective or a company branding perspective, I- ignoring that, you know, I know there's no commercialization from, from it, but 
yeah, sure. there's got to be that balance between you know both of those things that you do. Yeah, so, so I think I think the most obvious, which is a huge benefit to all the organisations who've kind of got involved in in when I grew up, is in our tender submissions, we are able to talk, you know, in the social value sections around inspiring the next generation. So we're able to demonstrate our social value through our school visits, through our number of children that we've engaged using the book. But that benefit isn't exclusive to me because of my involvement in the book. That's available to absolutely everyone who's got involved and and is using it. But undoubtedly, there's value for me there. I think the personal branding question is very interesting um you probably can't scroll for 20 seconds on linkedin without a personal branding post um somewhere somewhere in there it's a it's an interesting topic i don't think it's something i've ever actively done or promoted or planned but undoubtedly when I grew up has sort of changed drastically what my personal brand is and how I'm viewed by by people. Um, I often meet new people in the industry because of the role I'm in and chances are the first conversation I have with them will be around when I grew up because they've seen me or they've seen the book on LinkedIn and and it has become a real conversation starter and something that gives me a connection with people I didn't know previously so you know despite it never being a designed benefit there is mm. definitely a huge benefit there um oh, so then... although you didn't you, you didn't see that see that coming mm. uh, in terms of the popularity and and sure. your association with it is that a help or a or a hindrance? Because obviously your your day job and the thing that that, that pays the bills is is being a, a director, pre construction director. So when you're having that conversation, is it you know clearly the book and everything it's doing and and, and the whole movement is fantastic and a positive. But yeah. from your perspective, is it a positive or a negative? Because like I say, you you're doing something else to pay the bills as well. Yeah, I think I think the only. The only negative is workload. So the only negative mm. is, you know, the fact that ultimately I could, you know, do all day and all night on the book in the same way I can do all day and all night on the day job. So so, so that's, for me, is the only negative because everything else, you know, we've got clients who understand the book and what we're trying to do there and the social value of it. So that's a huge positive because... You know, it, it's that untold benefit and, and clients don't need me or indeed anyone else at Kelpray to directly sell that to mm-hmm. them. They're, they're just seeing that. They're seeing that on LinkedIn. They're seeing it on this podcast. They're, they're, wherever they are, they're seeing that. So there's, you know, definitely huge benefit, huge benefit there. Um, we are opening opportunity for individuals across the organization to go and do school engagement that they didn't have previously or maybe didn't feel comfortable doing so Mm, you know the benefit of the book is it's a sort of off-the-shelf package with resources that 
anyone can go and stand in front of a class of children and, and deliver. So we've had a lot of people, and particularly some of our younger employees who, you know, maybe don't have the experience in the industry because they're new into it. So they wouldn't have wanted to go and stand in front of children and talk about their job and what they do because they've not been in it long. They don't feel they've got that experience and confidence. But actually, you arm them with the book and they can imagine they're reading it to, you know, niece, nephew, friends, whoever it may be. And it just gives them that confidence to deliver that session, which is not only great for the aim of everything that the book is about, but actually for them and their personal development. So, you know, I've got individuals in the team who have grown through being involved in the process and, and developed. So, so you know, genuinely, I, I think I could talk about the added value and the benefits for hours. The only negative is that keeping up with the momentum and keeping up with mm. the demands and trying to, you know, satisfy people who want to get involved and people who want to take it onto the next level. And, you know, that, that for me is the only negative, which, you know, am I actually being a bit negative by viewing it that way? Probably so. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's where we are. I personally think it's one of the best case studies I've seen, although it's inadvertently, sorry, the best, one of the best cases I've ever seen for focusing on something that, adds a hell of a lot of value that isn't commercialized that isn't mm. focused on the core product or selling features or benefits or functions or anything like that but attributes so so much to uh, uh, the, the marketing discipline um yeah. i'm I'm, tr be, I, I'm trying i'm trying not to talk about it like it was designed to do a lot of the things it was designed to do in terms of the added value because yes. I know it wasn't and it was never the case but it's just an excellent case study in uh and and when I'm saying that I'm thinking about uh Michelin um and the Michelin stars to get people to buy tires and the Guinness Book of World Records in terms of getting people to talk about but it is a, no that's exactly right and I, and I think the more I think about it you know when I when I'm with those gatekeepers that we talked about previously my messaging has now incorporated some of those some of that added value so mm -hmm. you know it is a way for people's brands to be visible and publicized without them needing to sell themselves you know it, it's yeah. just a way of being out there and generating content and you know your, your brand is very visible through your involvement to the point that on the website we have an area dedicated to showcasing the brands of people who've got involved and they're not yeah. paying for their brand to be on there there's no commercial model to it but it is undoubtedly a selling point for people that they want the visibility of being involved um yeah so yeah i think you're exactly right absolutely rich thank you so much uh, what i want to end it on is you telling people how they can get involved and where they can find the book slash books? Yeah, sure. So um, when I grow up, book.co.uk is our is our website. All of our information is on there in relation to both both books, both when I grew up and the big build. There are contact forms on there. LinkedIn has been our real secret to success for the for the whole um, project. We've not used any other form of social media 
to date. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we might do going forward to try and generate interest, but you know, LinkedIn has more than satisfied the demands that we're trying to keep up with. Um, hopefully, you know, we can grow it. We can, as I say, I mentioned an app earlier. I'd love to be in a space where we can develop that app to, to take people, take people with us. But yeah, via the website, myself on LinkedIn, do get in touch. Um, bear with us as we try and keep up with that momentum and demands that's been generated. But I am, I am hoping we'll, uh, will sort of ramp up again as, as we head into the back end of the year, because I do think there's there's a lot of Christmas trees that would benefit from uh, someone I grew up in and around them um, yeah. through that through that holiday period. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're buying a, a, a toy excavator or skid steer, yeah. think about the one I grew up book alongside it. Absolutely. That in there with it would, would be a match made in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Rich, thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really interesting. Uh, Absolute pleasure. And, you know, I hope uh, you continue with that momentum and, uh, you know, I'm fully supportive of it and, and, and think it's fantastic what you've done. So congratulations on that one. That was brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and giving this a listen. If you want to chat further about anything you've heard on today's episode a topic or technology you'd like me to cover or simply want to say hiya you'll find me on linkedin or through the emails peter at builddifferent.marketing stay disruptive